This is the Compiling Podcast with Rob Z and Friends, where I talk to technical experts about their day-to-day work and what they do in between. For more information, visit compiling.publicgeeking.com. Thanks for listening. This is the Compiling Podcast with Rob Z and Friends. I'm Rob Z. Today I get to talk to Sarah Jane Morris, better known to most simply as SJ. I have always believed in the idea of community, and I thought I was a pretty good community manager myself. Uh, That is until I met SJ. Her passion and compassion for people emanates from her every action. I have both had the pleasure of working directly with her during our time at Mastery, as well as have been on the receiving end of the fantastic community support she provides. Now, in this episode, we hear her perspective on building and fostering developer communities and discuss the successes she and her team and HubSpot have had with their developer relations program. We then launch into a topic with which both of us are quite familiar, the joys and the joys of travel. Let's do this. This is going to be a good conversation. It's always a good conversation. I'm ready. All right. So let's start with, uh, I know who you are, SJ. Tell everybody else, who are you? Hi, Rob. Thank you so much for having me here, too. I'm very excited to chat with you. It's been a while. Uh, my name is SJ Morris. My pronouns are she, her. Um, let's see. I am a, uh, I work at HubSpot, uh, leading the developer community initiatives on our DevRel team there. I'm also a multifaceted person who does things like um, goes to restaurants, travels, <laughs> eats delicious food, drinks delicious drinks. I have a cat that I love very much. And um, I moved to New York two years ago, and that was very exciting. So, and I've worked at a bunch of cool companies too. I worked with you. You work with me. You're implying yeah. that you're more than your career, which is a thousand percent true. And I appreciate that. <laughs> Uh, and no, we did work together. And that's actually, so well, let's kick off the first half of this conversation talking about precisely that. Because the reason that I really wanted to talk to you, aside from the fact that it's been so long and aside from the fact that I absolutely love chatting with you, I've had community on the mind a lot lately. And not just developer community, but community in general. And so I wanted to spend some time talking to you about your experience building, maintaining, managing communities both from that professional standpoint, you know, what is the business value? But I also want to talk about it from, we're gonna, we might get a little philosophical here. We'll see. We'll sure, see sure. How, how deep I get. So let me, let me start off by saying, you know, or asking the question, what do we mean by community? Like you That's go out and, question. yeah, we, you manage <laughs> these these developer communities. Like what does this mean to you? And, and what is the value in even doing this for, for the businesses yeah. you, you uh, are a part of? Yeah. So I think we can take a few steps back before we get into the sort of business side of it. Yeah. Um, I, well, actually, before I do that, I'll give the caveat that I think, but community, especially in the last, like, I want to say five years has probably been a very extensively used word in the tech (laughs) industry. Um, Sometimes I feel like it has not always been used correctly. And I also feel like it means different things at different moments to different people. And that's okay to some extent. Um, the way I like to define it though, at the highest level is just kind of a, a core value, a core symbol, a core reason for humans to connect with each other. Mm -hmm. Um, and something that folks have in common that they want to connect with each other about. Um, so that can be anything from, uh, you know, 
tennis to, uh, you know, religion to, uh, you know, in our case, um, sometimes certain types of technologies and the businesses that are built around them. Um, and so I think what's cool about community is that it kind of sits at this external external layer to your company. Like it doesn't always reflect, um, you know, a marketing lead that's going to translate to a sales lead that's going to translate to a sales close. It's kind of providing this, I don't know, moat of communication around a company that kind of um, does multiple things. One, it's, you know, of course, a great resource for, you know, potential leads, people who are interested in your company, they're raising their hands and talking about the fact that they're interested in your product and they're building a business around your product. So there's some really obvious tie-ins to marketing there, but there's also tremendous amounts of value in the kinds of feedback you can get from a community um, around product. So it's this cyclical thing where you continue to get feedback, you build advocacy within the community. Um, that you know, community begets community. The more folks that are excited about what you're doing, um, the more folks that they will then bring into the community. Um, so it's this like beautiful, organic, fluid, kind of like always moving thing that's kind of hard to apply strategy to. Yeah. Because it's like, if you have a great product that, um, now I would say not every company needs community, but if you have like a really great product, and of course my experience lies in largely in developer facing products or APIs, um, then developers are gonna wanna uh, gather with each other and talk about how they're building it, get support from each other, and potentially even collaborate on businesses. Because this is something that, you know, for in an APIs case, you're, you're asking folks to build on top of your platform and to build on your API. Um, and that's just like massive creative license. Yeah. Um, yeah. Depending on depending on how you manage your APIs and how easy they are to access, and if they're public or private. But that's a whole other a whole other topic. Um, but theoretically, by putting out these tools and these um, you know resources to developers, you're asking them to build things. And so, if they sort of connect with each other, they can build businesses. They can also just share ideas. Um, and it's really, really cool to see what comes out of developer communities. Like, I'm constantly surprised um, <laughs> uh, in many ways by the developer community. Um, and uh, I don't know, it's just like a lot of fun. There's like a sense I feel among some folks that developers are not particularly creative. They're all like, you know, very technical and very nerdy and whatever. And like, that's the complete opposite of reality. They're totally intensely is. creative. And that's, I mean, that's developers are creators now so we talk about communities you bring this up you know that that there's multiple different communities and and you know going a little bit into the philosophical side like i very much believe in in the duality between the individual and the communities that make them up like the individual sits at the intersection of each community to which they belong and that's what yeah. defines the individual as a unique individual you know it starts with your family where you live but then the other people that you meet and the other groups that you become a part of and it's intermingled with your identity, et cetera. So like with that in mind, even an organization is going to have multiple communities. You've got your internal Absolutely. community, your leadership, executive team, your workers, and of course your customers are a key community. But when mm -hmm. we talk about community, particularly in the tech world, like it seems that it's developers, the developer communities are where so much of this focus winds up. Why developers particularly? What is it about building a community for the developers that like kind of serves them better than maybe other other cohorts. You know, it's actually really interesting that you talked about how 
all of these sort of um, communities that we're a part of kind of like become this constellation of who we are. Yeah. Uh, I actually don't feel like the vast majority of the developers in the communities that I worked with, that I've worked with will say, I'm a HubSpot developer. I'm so proud to be a part of this community. It's like a big part of my identity. I think there always will be a certain percentage, a tiny percentage, and you need that percentage of folks to like radiate that energy and excitement to the rest of the community. Yeah. Um, but I think actually most folks are just going to be like, you know, and, and this is, it's interesting, an interesting question that you asked about why do you think developer communities are so sort of like um, important to companies? I, have worked on both sides of companies who are developer first, you know, like I worked at Keen.io, which uh, was a, a, an API company that was, had a bunch of like really awesome analytics customization APIs. So that was definitely a developer first company. And then I do have a, a, a more experience in like um, developer plus companies as they're called, I guess. So companies like, you know, like HubSpot, like Shopify, like MailChimp, where yeah. the primary audience is the the customer who's using the product, and we're asking developers to build on top of the product. So I have actually found, no disrespect to those companies, that the developer community is kind of um, a secondary thought. Mm. And but there is, there starts to be that realization when someone like me is hired that. Um, these folks are really important to the future of the company. And so we do need like developer community DevRel to come in and like nurture these communities so that we can like build for the long term of the company. So I do find that like developer plus companies, it's going to be folks where leadership recognizes the long term investment um, and like the decision, the intentional decision to truly build a platform and recognize that you're not going to build all products in-house that are going to serve all of your customers. Um, but that's a journey, and that requires, like, a lot of commitment and trust at the top. Yes. And so, like, we're doing great work at HubSpot. I think we're, like, probably a little behind where we should be at this point. And I think that's true for all of these kind of, like, Except with the exception of possibly Shopify, they started at the right time and they've really done some really interesting advancements since then. And they're they're doing really, really cool stuff in the dev community right now. Um, but um, yeah, so I would argue and say my experience shows me that developer community is only sort of important at the point where the decision and intentional long term commitment to building a platform is recognized by leadership. Got it. So, so, I mean, what you're yeah. saying is that, like, before you can even really start thinking about this, you, I mean, obviously you have to have some kind of a landing place for developers to come, but, like, it's not, and, and, you know, and that kind of echoes my experience as well. For a lot of companies, this is not, how do I say this? It doesn't fit completely as well within their strategy, and a lot of times they just kind of, they say, well, I guess it's just marketing, and, like, where does DevRel go, right? Is DevRel, I've been in DevRel teams where it's been part of the marketing team, I've been in DevRel teams yeah. where it's been part of the engineering team, I've been in DevRel teams where they have a head of DevRel, and it's a completely separate thing. So, like, where yeah. does this belong, and, and how, from your experience, where does it work best? Um, I will always say that DevRel is not marketing and shouldn't be um, subject to the same uh, metrics. So, at the mm -hmm. end of the day, Putting DevRel in marketing is kind of setting them up for failure 
because it's omitting the whole huge to me like the the unspoken value. Yes, we want developers to like let like activate on your product and start building things, and that's kind of uh, the the surface like obvious reason. But there's so much um product feedback, and I kind of alluded to that before. Um, but that product feedback you can get from the developer community and through DevRel through the initiatives that like cycle. Um, I think it should be either in product or engineering, depending on how the org works. We're in product at HubSpot. Hmm. Product and engineering is kind of one big group, though. So that's also common. We're really these days. close to engineering. Um, sorry, that's also common. I'm seeing that happen more and more. Where yeah. product and engineering are becoming more, you know, married, which is probably for the best. Yeah, yeah, I I agree. Um, it, one really interesting thing is that I think that, that for the two of us, it feels like DevRel's been around forever, which it. <laughs> It has it for has. like our careers, right? But I think it's still like in the big tech scheme of things, like as a real um, uh, distinct kind of like practice within a company, I do think it's fairly new. Like if you look at HubSpot's DevRel team, like I think they were first founded in 2019. So that's like, oh, wow. you know, can't do math four years ago. It's not that long ago. Yeah, it's a, lot, a lot longer than that too, right? Exactly. Yeah. Like. Hmm. I Mailchimp, as far as I know, I think they have the dev into it DevRel now, but like so, I don't know what they're up to. I'm sure cool things, um, but when I went to Mailchimp, I was DevRel <laughs> for one year. I was DevRel, and that was I was like, hmm, that's a lot for me. That's a lot. For <laughs> it was it was really person. cool though. Like I got to sort of like think big and like try to craft a vision and like work with the resources I had. And that was really, really a really cool experience. But um, uh, the the orange siren or whatever I would call it, like HubSpot beckoned me back and I couldn't resist. So um, <laughs> but it's, it's, so good, it's such a great company. And I'm not just saying that because they pay my bills. But um, I mean, you went back. So, I mean, that's that's a sign of major positivity. That's a good thing. I, um, I mean, like, let's just like have real career talk here. Like yeah. I wasn't keen on leaving when I did. Um, and the reasons I did leave were entirely like personal, like I wanted to move to New York at the time HubSpot did not have New York pay bans mm. and one must have New York pay bans to survive in this, in this expensive city. Um, so at the time that they reached back out, um, they did. And I had already relocated to New York. <laughs> Well, that's just kismet. With the intention. The intention was to stay at MailChimp, of course. But then, like, the Intuit acquisition happened. Mm. You know, we've been through an acquisition together. Been through a few of those, yeah. Yeah, it's, <laughs> it doesn't always. For the folks, I think, who um, who uh, uh, sort of, like, stuck it out, they're they're doing okay now, as, as far as I've heard at, at MailChimp. But, like, the uh, it's public knowledge that 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 acquisition was not not yeah, pleasant for a lot a of people different world over um, there now and it was a much different world than they expected as i recall yeah exactly <laughs> exactly anyway so so yeah i mean i've always just it's nice that i came back to hubspot actually because when i was at hubspot before so yeah i was at hubspot for like a year um prior to going to mailchimp then i came back in february of last year um i was in the role I was in before it was prime it was like a mixture of like programs and community and a little bit of like kind of I guess I would call myself like a marketing liaison okay, on yeah. the DevRel team. Whereas now I'm exclusively focused on community, um, which is really cool. Like it's really nice to have that um like square focus. Um 
And we're doing a lot of cool things. I don't know if you like want to. I don't actually know how we're doing for time. No, no, we're doing great for time. And and so the 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 two things that that came up from that that I wanted to dive into is like so. First of all, you're saying you're you're so focused on community. So what does the rest of the DevRel team look like at HubSpot right now? How big is it? Yeah. we have like a, uh, a, uh, four pillars of DevRel. One of them is community. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, Very important one of them is, sorry? Very important pillar. <laughs> Very important pillar. That's why I'm here today. At least I hope it remains important so I can still have a job that I like. Um, <laughs> doing my best. Um, we also have advocacy, the best known pillar, I think, of DevRel. Yep. Um, we have programs slash experience right now. That's that's a whole other story into, unto itself. But um, when I say programs, like that means any sort of, um, you know, time locked catalysts to get developers together to do things or, you know, it can be anything from a dev specific webinar. So they, this our programs person is very connected to marketing. Um, kind of like what I was doing before. It can be anything from a series of webinars. It can be last year we did our first big developer conference. This year we're trying to make that kind of stuff happen at the same time as Inbound, the big HubSpot oh, yeah. marketing conference. That's trying to be more of a customer connection conference and less of a marketing conference now, um, which it's so broad at this point that there's just there are so many folks that can have an incredible experience at Inbound that come from different worlds and we're trying to make a path for developers this year. It's, it's not easy when it's been a historically marketing conference. No, but, but I mean, there's also, you know, there's a lot of cross promotion, a lot of cross pollination that can happen there. So yeah. that's a, I think well, that's honestly, a like there's one interesting thing um, that's worth kind of bringing up is that I'm feeling like increasingly, especially in my world where I'm dealing with agencies, I'm dealing with um, solutions architects, technical marketers, like this whole notion of a developer, it's not as simple as it used to be. Um, There are so many definitions, and you know, with low code, no code coming up, like, I just think even using the word or being overly siloed with the word developer is a bit tricky. And I think we're trying to move towards like more, like, you know, Anything that requires code, anything that's technical, um, these these are the folks we serve. And so it's an extremely broad set of personas at HubSpot. Um, but that's why we feel like inbound actually might be great for them because they want to know everything that's going on. Right. Because they're involved in like these smaller agencies, like they'll have folks who are doing the like, you know, the super admins do coding stuff sometimes and they leverage the APIs. Um, and like they want to know the holistic, they want to know all the product rollouts so they can then kind of figure out like, how do we optimize our instance of HubSpot? Um, And like, how do we build the next great HubSpot app? Like what's HubSpot not building so we can think about building it. Um, There's just a lot of, I think actually ultimately makes sense to have them kind of married as opposed to this really separate developer conference. Well, and and Uh, also, I mean, like talking back to that cross promotion and kind of what I'm hearing from this is, you know, as a developer, you don't always... Oftentimes you get the requirements, whether you like it or not, kind of thrown over the wall at you, right? And to be able to actually see what the end users want, to hear in their own words what they need, and then to translate that as the person who has to build that stuff, like, I think there's a lot of value in that. So I I personally love that idea. And and, yeah, 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 you know, the developers may not like the marketing part, but who cares? They'll they'll deal with it. That's okay. No, I mean... 
they're going to have to like marketing a little bit if they're working for on stuff for HubSpot. Point. That's a good point. <laughs> it is a marketing company. What was the fourth? I'm sorry. You, there were, there were, we talked about three columns. What's the fourth column? We said. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Sorry. I'm all over the place. That's okay. So there's community advocacy uh, programs. And this year, our, our, I say experience because we're doing some like self learning and some like website stuff that's a little bit more um, online versus like in person events. Um, so that's still part of programs. But sure. Um, the next, uh, the fourth section is, um, ecosystem quality. So, or just quality. So that's really the, the process of getting your app into the marketplace, getting your stuff approved, holding our developers to a high standard of what we're going to like promote and publicize, um, much more connected to the sort of like partnerships and app world sure. on the, on our, on our company, but still lives within DevRel. That's cool. That's so yeah. now, okay. So you, you, you've, touched on this a little bit some of these activities are moving more online what are the activities that your team does that really moves the needle for well two i guess there's two parts to that question that really moves the needle for what you're doing and how do you measure that <laughs> you asked the, everyone's favorite questions about devrel right um how do i, mean, I measure success in devrel yeah we are still <laughs> a small team and so we are doing a lot, like we're trying to, first of all, our biggest focus right now, I would say um, the advocates at least are, is, are producing a ton of content and that's, you know, content of all different flavors, like a lot of blog posts, but also a lot of tutorial sample apps, um, working like on the front lines to make sure our APIs are rolling out with proper document. So that consultant consultation side too. So it's like, as per usual, DevRel is kind of like, they're doing their own thing to get that like awareness and activation around the community for what's new and great in HubSpot. But we're also doing a ton of kind of like behind the scenes glue work and sort of advocacy for the developer within product rollouts, um, mm. making sure all of that goes smoothly, kind of like a lot of behind the scenes work that's hard to attribute um, our sort of like direct connection to. And me, um, I'm kind of, I liken myself to like a stage manager behind our community. <laughs> I'm there, like people know who I am, but I'm not the star of the show. Like the advocates are the star of the show. Right. Um, and really what I'm trying to do is make our, you know, make it easier for folks to feel welcome, feel safe, feel included, um, feel like there's contributions that they can make and there's a, and benefits for them over time, connecting them to the right folks that like make sense with what they're doing. So I'm working on a program right now that's really going to, um, Kind of take this concept of the community commitment curve. Is that a thing you ever heard of? No, the community the community oh, commitment curve. I should have had a slide ready. <laughs> I know. Oh. Um, so I'll try to describe it. It's it's a kind of a visual concept, but essentially it's this sort of matrix where you're measuring um, how much time do folks need to commit to the community um, on one axis, and the other axis is sort of like the value that they're getting and giving back. Hmm. So like they, we start with onboarding and then they're like answering questions and then they're creating content and then they're like speaking at conferences and the top would probably might be something like literally getting hired by HubSpot because that's what's <laughs> happened in our dev girl team. Sure. Like two of our advocates were two developers that were just super, super active in our communities and we just like hired them. Um, so obviously that's not the goal from, or not the result for most folks, but some lucky folks will, will, nice will be able to. <laughs> yeah, right. Um, so what I'm trying to do is understand what are the motivations in those sort of like 
um, milestones, like from someone going from onboarding, sort of like, um, I don't like to use the word lurker anymore. I like to use the word learner. Oh, okay, good. Somebody, I like that. Somebody, I, that's not my term. I, I don't remember who came up with that, but I loved it. And I, I, I wish I could credit whoever it was, but I don't remember. One of those things I saw on LinkedIn. I'm just like, that's cool. <laughs> it's a lot less negative, right? Um, so, you know, and there's value too. Like there's folks who will just come into your community and read something and then go and do their thing and you'll never know that they were there. So that's one of the sort of unmeasurable kind of community things. Yeah. Um, so that's one of the programs I'm working on, like seeing how they move to those different phases, what the milestones are, what stops them from moving ahead, what percentage moves ahead. And then finally, once we get those folks at the top of the, or like in those top um, sort of tiers of activity, like how do we then like measure, like look at like MRR of the customers that they're working with, like, and then start to really look at like the actual, like, benefit to the company tying the revenue back um, to the activities yeah. yeah so like i have made peace with and i'm trying to tell the rest of the company like we are not trying to activate our entire community that's never going to happen but let's try to sh make the voices shine the brightest that reflect our business goals like we're very interested in having developers customize our crm that's like a big movement of the company like we really want hubspot to be as you know, adaptable to each individual company's needs as possible. Um, and so there's, you know, that's got a specific skill set, a specific um, like motivation. And right now there's not a ton of developers that are really, really experienced in that. So we're trying to like educate more in that area, but then also serve the needs of all the other developers that are building CMSs or building websites on HubSpot who are like building apps for HubSpot, building integrations. Like we still need to, to serve all of them too, but um, that's where things get a little tricky because we want to make sure we're, we're, you know, as inclusive as we can be to all of the use cases. Sure. Um, but, you know, we're starting to look at some really cool things like AI support and like, that's um, you know, using AI to leverage a lot of these like use cases that we're not necessarily focused on as a business, but we still want to serve folks. So like there's cool stuff happening there. I'm really excited about all that. So you've, you've kind of dropped into a lot of companies and fantastic yeah. building out yeah. DevRel, right? So in, drop the mic. No, folks Peace are out. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so then, okay. So like, this is if I'm if I'm a, if I'm part of an organization where we see the opportunity for building a developer relations program, where do I start? Like, what's the, huh. what's the best way to start? Well, okay, I have so many questions, so many follow up questions <laughs> to that question, and okay. that's the problem with that question. Sure. The follow up questions are: Where are you in your product roadmap? Like, what have you built? Do you have an MVP that developers can get their hands on? Do you understand what your potential use cases are? Um, do you have or have you started to build a network of developers that might be interested in starting to dabble in it? Do you have incentives to work really closely with them to, um, you know, roll out the red carpet for them to, um, you know, send them all the swag? I mean, I don't know if swag is as impactful as it once was. Good question. Um, is it? Because I mean, like I am noticing like going to conferences, even now that we're, even though that we're back, like I don't see swag being the big draw oh, i think there's more in an environmental lens on it yeah. first of all nobody needs any more like you know 
we probably all like i don't know i don't know about you but i don't need another tech t-shirt and i don't need another like mug another although i'll chain. never say no to a mug for the record i have a mug collection so I'll, i will never say no to a mug <laughs> but um like i don't know I'm, I'm like not thinking of the obvious things i do miss stickers i do miss sticker actually and stickers bit. are still something that i see that's okay. probably the one piece of swag that i see the most commonly and and you know it's the easiest and people still like to you know yeah. deck out there slap it on your like, laptop it's an interesting re- realization I'm just making is that like prior to the pandemic, all my laptops were just like covered mm-hmm. and now mine is totally empty. So I have one sticker on the front for the dev network. That's it. Cause that's the only conference huh. I've been to since the pandemic ended. Well, that's so funny. That'd be a funny like Twitter thread or something. Maybe not Twitter. Blue sky. <laughs> Mastodon. <laughs> I don't have my invite. I don't have my invite. Anyway. Um, and I'm also joking. I was like, I can't get invites to anything anymore. Like I used to be able to. <laughs> I lost my touch. Anyway. Um, what was I going on? I'd, off I'd put you on my Mastodon stuff? instance, but it's such, it's the most brittle Mastodon I, I mean, instance. It's running out of I my mean, living room. I'm, I have an account. Or, we, you could do that, but yeah. I probably won't say much. But you were asking about like, um metrics metrics is like but then like the where well, to start question so we asked about the where to start but like what, what what you're basically saying is like you start with having a strategy that targets developers so like what is your goal with them what are you trying to build and then you know like what do you have to you offer a real ready to iterate as well because developers yeah. will continue to surprise you oh yeah um that's true depending on what the like i don't know what your tool is is it like some sort of a devops thing then like improve their lives <laughs> like what is that expression like developers are lazy i mean i hate saying stuff that's, like that but like we're all lazy we all not want lazy they're like, incredibly busy and they have too much pressure on them that's what it is yes yes that's absolutely <laughs> right um, but like anything you can do to simplify a developer's job, I think without necessarily, cause some developers will still want to like feel ownership over what they're doing. So if you're like, I don't know, I'm not sure how like uh, things like, uh, GBT and AI with code are going to go, like if it's going to speed folks up or if people are going to still want to write their own code, I think it'll probably a little from column A, a little from column yeah. B, but you know, anyway, to go back, like it all depends on what what you're trying to build, but let's say it's a set of APIs that you want devs to start building on. Like you really do need to like identify a small core group that's going to, that you start with and really are super close with and get that ongoing feedback. And they can also be, if you're lucky, the first few folks that start populating a very early stage community, even something as simple as like Google groups. Like you don't yeah. even want to start with a big fancy platform at the beginning because the last thing you want is like, Oh, let me join your developer Slack. And there's like, you know, crickets in there. Like that's, <laughs> that's not optimal. So something where you can control the volume and it's not the end of the world. If folks don't see a ton of initial activity. Um, so you start slow and you just like get super, close to those folks are you going in there and goosing that activity at all like as it builds up because this is the other thing that i've noticed and we've seen in the past as well you go into a developer forum and it's like kind of empty or it was really active at one point in time but it's kind of died off like what do you how do you kind of juice that conversation and get people going or do you you know we just did this last year we rolled out like a really small scale discord just to see how it go how it how it goes how it went um we do have a pretty active developer slack um, but I, I mean, I could go on for hours about why I have feelings about Slack as a community platform. <laughs> yeah. 
but the bottom line is everyone's on it all the time. So this is why it keeps happening. Everyone yeah. keeps launching their communities on Slack because we're all on Slack all day. Yep. Um, and that's the biggest benefit that's extremely hard to replicate with literally any other tool where you have to go out of your way to log into it. So Discord is the only other thing that's starting to be sort of like similar to that where folks will have it on all day anyways. And a lot of other, you know, communities that I admire have, have launched their developer communities on Discord. Um, but we launched a really small scale one and I was in there every day asking questions. Like I was asking folks to share content, you know, really, sometimes it was really silly, fun questions, just sort of like, you know, like what's your favorite movie and like respond to this question with your favorite GIF. And like, I don't know, people <laughs> love that. And I think it was cool too, because it was exclusive and it was like this, this group of our like really engaged devs. Ultimately, um, that was an experiment. Like there will be many experiments, experiments in community. Um, that was an experiment that we decided not to pursue and not to broaden. Um, it was turning into the same sort of issues that we have with Slack, but for different reasons. Like my challenges with Slack as a community tool is that it's not designed for that. It's designed for workplace collaboration. Mm -hmm. So for example, things like DMs are wide open to everyone and I have no visibility on who's DMing who. And so we get lots of DM spam complaints. Um, and there's just all kinds of like non-community friendly things there. And then if you look at Discord, it's the same sort of sphere of problems, but from a gaming perspective. Right. So like, it's got all of the, like it's all of these extra confusing user roles and like um, ways of being in the community as an individual. Like it's very hard to manage a group of a community because like if you want to like, like it's all of the communities are far more connected to and like, it's just weird when it's a gaming community and a business and anyway, it just, it didn't, it felt like we were opening the same sort of Pandora's box with a gaming flavor yeah. uh, with discord. So I'm like, okay, we're going to stick with Slack for now. And the other thing that was great about Slack is that um, we're using a tool called a tool called common room to do a lot of our community measurement, like communities come so far with what you can and can't measure. Um, so one of the metrics I look at that's most important to me um, for now, um, before I've rolled out this program, but that's a whole other thing, is peer-to-peer -peer response rates. So, um, you know, how many like non-hub spotters are responding to each other in our spaces? So our, we also have a developer forum as well and a developer Slack. Um, and Koros, or sorry, Koros is our forum. Common Room allows us to, to measure that. Um, and we see trends over time. We see who's the most responsive and we see new folks who are becoming more responsive. Um, and we get their whole world. Like you click on their profile, Palm Room has pulled in their LinkedIn, it's pulled in their Twitter, it's pulled in their uh, GitHub. It's like you get this like profile. Whoa. So it's like this um, almost like um, what what was that old tool that we used to use? Like there's a tool that sounds I, like I full contact kind of. But I mean, I don't yeah, 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 exactly, exactly. <laughs> It's very full contact desk. Um, and uh, yeah, it's really, really cool. And it's super powerful. Um, and it allows us to like identify trends and like tag folks. So like we have all our solution partner developers tagged and you can see how they're interacting with the community. And it's very powerful. And Slack is really, really well measured in sure. there. Sure. So it's like, okay, God. we have this thing that's already active. Um, I don't love it. All the other tools out there are not any better, though. Right, right. And it's being super well measured by this community tools. Uh, so let's stick with it for now. I think it's the metric of 
peer-to-peer interaction. Because this is one of the things that when we go and we 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 talk about, you know, DevRel and we talk about building the community, it's one of the things that I always like to say is that eventually, you know, folks will start helping each other and that'll take kind of the load off. But like the reality is it takes a lot of effort to get to that point and it may never because, you know, some folks just yep. kind of pop in, ask a question, never come back. How do you encourage well, I, actually, you know what? I don't know if you can encourage that. No, how do you, I agree I, with you How do you identify those people? Like, what do those folks tend to have in common that they are yeah. wanting to take that role? So usually there's some sort of uh, uh, monetary incentive for them behind the scenes. Oh, and okay. that's not us paying them. What I mean is, in one case, we have like, and, and like, I agree, the vast, like I said, the vast majority of folks are not going to be super active in your community. We have maybe like three or four folks in our community who go in and like religiously, or I don't like to use that expression, but like very <laughs> frequently answer questions and are very committed to answering questions and are very helpful. Um, they are also, we, so this is so specific to HubSpot. So I'm not sure how much it will be helpful to the broader folks out there, but like these folks are in this really interesting liminal space in our partner world. Um, so we have a partner program, a solutions partner program, it's called, that is at the, at the current moment, pretty focused on reselling HubSpot. Mm-hmm. Like this is what these agencies do. So it's a lot of like VAR uh, type stuff. Yeah. Yeah. And they, we also have like app partners that are building apps and like there's different flavors, but currently the biggest motivation for them and the way that they're being paid is, although this is changing to more of a service lens, like we want our partners to be servicing customers in a more long-term way. And so the pricing models are changing to impact that. But at the moment, that is the biggest motivation. Um, Because of that, they're not incentivized necessarily to bring on full-time developers to help service their customers because they hire a lot of freelancers Mm. but our freelancers aren't like because they're not like they're not focused on selling so they're in this weird spot where they're freelanced they're being hired by these agencies to do the developer work and these developer projects but they're not part of the larger partner program and so they are just looking for business in our developer slack we have tons of like solutions partners who will come in like i can't figure this thing out and they're like "Ooh, let me try to let me give you a little teaser of help and then like maybe you want to come like hire us for this project you know so it's and they're the folks that are doing it are doing it like really well well they're like building relationships and adding value and they're not like aggressive so we do have some folks who come in and aggressively sell and then i'm like you're breaking the code of conduct you can't do that here so it's a balance, um, but that for them, like there needs to be some sort of like longer term business hook for them. Sure. Um, for them to be that, you know, they're not just doing it out of the goodness of their own hearts. <laughs> but you just, I mean, like, but that's yet another value of the community. It's 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 yes. helping your partner program as well. It's helping them find customers and maintain that relationship. And, you know, you're yeah. all part of, the, in this case, the HubSpot community because you're you're serving the same customer base. You're, you're going after the same goals. That's pretty... Yeah, I, it's kind of cool. Those folks are really clever who have figured that out. Yeah. Um, they've identified this gap and they're going after it. And they're in this really great position right now because like we have not ruled out as much. Like we have a great academy team. We have all kinds of like solutions, partners, accreditations. We have like accreditations and certifications on the academy team as well. But they're all just sort of like they're not going to get you a become to become like a deep 
experienced HubSpot developer at the moment. Right. And so while there's only like a handful of very, very like seasoned HubSpot developers out there, they're getting all the business, right? Um, We're trying to grow that number of folks so that like we can serve more customers and our solutions partners can, you know, become more focused on service. Um, But but yeah, there, it's a very interesting, is, now is the time, world, to become a HubSpot developer. <laughs> <laughs> while it's hot. If, you, if you're out there yeah. and you're looking for something to do, you're, 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 you just got laid off and you want to figure out a way yeah, right? to, you know, hey, right. go, go become a HubSpot developer. There's a lot of customers who need that help. Very much so. As someone who has, has written a few uh, HubSpot, you know, apps or integrations, really, I've played with the API. It's actually a pretty good API. So it's, it's pretty hey, easy to work with. Hey, we'll tell our team. So, yeah. uh, you know, the last thing I want to touch on with this topic, because uh, you, you, you use a term that I, I absolutely adore. You didn't talk about the evangelists on your team at all. You talked about oh, the no, advocates always, on your team. But here's the thing. <laughs> you talked about the ad, you know, you advocacy, which means that, you know, on behalf of developers, you're helping them figure things out and you're trying to advocate for them. But then you talked about this internal advocacy, like where what is how hmm, how streamlined is that connection between the DevRel team and the product team right now? Like, are you feeding features back in in a pretty clean, consistent way? What does that process look like? Well, honestly, it could be better, but could there are, be you know, sorry? It could always be better. I, I, yeah, I hear that everywhere. Yeah. In our case, I think that, like, um, so there's a couple of ways that we do that kind of systematically. Um, when folks are pushing any kind of like, you know, anything to GitHub that like, or to production or free production or whatever, like that has any kind of developer impact. Like there's just a long list of like, here are the things to check before you push this live. Like, does it impact developers? Talk to DevRel. <laughs> it's kind of a blanket warning, right? Like yeah. it doesn't always work, but it does sometimes work, right? Um, but then we have something internally called a rollout tool that it manages the whole process for any kind of product change, whether that be, um, you know, an API sunset or just a small tweak or an API launch or, you know, anything that um, that might impact developers. And it sort of tracks in one central area all of the uh, work that needs to be done from the product team side all the way through to marketing through to DevRel. So some of the areas where we're impacted is we have a developer change log that we're in charge of. So that um, change log post will be part of the entire form that needs to be filled out. And DevRel will come in and help, you know, assist with the creation of that change log post. And then we'll also assist with like getting the word out to the community and the appropriate channels for any changes. Um, We also have, we're in charge of the kind of like breaking change or not all of us, we're not like exclusively in charge, but we um, advise closely in what the breaking change rollout or process looks like. Mm-hmm. So like a minimum of 90 days for most breaking changes, um, ideally longer. Um, and so we are pretty embedded with, um, it's not perfect, but with, with you know, developer facing changes. There are folks that go rogue and don't go through the rollout tool and we miss things and we'll find out later. But it's a big company and the, the one of the like, Benefits and drawbacks, I think, for the developer experience at HubSpot is like our engineering culture is very move fast, ship, ship, ship. And so we're shipping like every day, like tons and tons of stuff. Um, And I think that's great. 
And I think that keeps our engineering organization engaged and, you know, excited. And I think it's a great sort of atmosphere to work in. But sometimes that means that, like, you know, we will have some breaking changes that that get through that didn't necessarily get flagged when they should be. So we're trying to get better at that. You're not trying to move fast and break things so much, but things. Yeah, that's why I avoided saying the break things part. (laughs) Yeah. Very cool. Welcome to the break. Now, this is where I'd put some kind of sponsorship placement if I had one. To get sponsors, however, I first need to build an audience. And this is a way that you can contribute significantly to the success of this podcast with very little effort. So I have a couple favors to ask. First, if you're enjoying these episodes, please share this podcast with your friends and colleagues. Send them a link to compiling.publicgeeking.com and encourage them to give it a listen. Not only will it help me out, but since my goal is to educate, inform, and entertain everyone who listens to this podcast, I hope it'll bring your friends and colleagues value as well. Second, I actually do want to hear your feedback. I produce these podcasts by myself, and good feedback on topics, guests, the questions I ask, and more is frankly kind of hard to come by. For that matter, how does this podcast even sound wherever you're listening? Is the volume good enough? Do you have any tips that may improve the sound quality? Good critical feedback like this not only helps me improve, it provides a better experience for everyone listening. To send feedback, please visit compiling.publicgeeking.com forward slash support to find the ways to get a hold of me. I look forward to hearing from you. Thank you again so much for listening. Back to the show. All right. Well, now I, I want to switch gears a little bit. All right. Let's do it. So now well, maybe it's not fully switching gears because, you know, doing advocacy, doing DevRel, yeah. there's a lot of travel involved. I mean, mm-hmm. prior to the pandemic and back when I was doing this full time, I was on the road constantly. And I moved mm-hmm. from DevRel to become a thought leader, which is a whole other beast so i was on the road even more and so were you and a lot yeah. of these in fact you and i spent some time in london together we uh, did. I was just gonna say. running the hazard bush uh hackathon that was a, yes. heck of a lot of fun back in the day when you did a beer hackathon i was like, i mean come I on kind of a pinch me moment like i have to fly to london to sample beers with developers like this is terrible it was it was that was <laughs> I, I i the parts of it that i remember were great um <laughs> No, it was actually, it was a good time. I was sober the whole time. Yeah. Um, but, you know, you've been doing a lot of travel in the last few years. There was, you know, mm-hmm. kind of hard to do I, during the pandemic. It's funny that you mentioned that because the, specifically the London trip, because I feel like that was an, like one of the things like Rob asked me before this. He was like, let's talk about like, you know, some stuff that's like exciting to you personally, like passion projects or hobbies. I'm like, I don't really have any, but I love to travel. <laughs> <laughs> Solo quite a bit, which is like an, an experience into its unto itself. So, what's funny is that I think that trip to London was probably one of the first times that I extended the trip because I was already across the pond, oh, yeah. and I was like, you know what, I'm going to go to Rome and I'm going to go to Italy after that, or I went to Paris and Rome like after that trip. Um, I and you were so about that, yeah, yeah. So this is like one of the cool things. Like, I'm not sure how much. I don't think there's a ton of work travel in my life anymore other than, you know, going to Boston to, to HQ uh, from time to time. Um, maybe conference travel will be in my future coming up like next year, but it seems like it's been very slow to come back. Yeah. Um, um, but like pro pro tip for anyone who is traveling for work, like if you can take a little PTO at the end of that and extend your trip, you're already there. Oh. <laughs> so like, it's such a it's such a great time to do that, um, and so I've done that a few times for uh, a couple of different Europe trips. 
Um, but then I've also just sort of like, you know, I'm sometimes a bit of an impulsive person. And if I see like, I I'm signed up to a bunch of like travel deal email, oh, like websites. Wow. And like, if I see a sweet deal, sometimes I'll just book it and like, <laughs> don't look back and then just make it happen. And I did that for a trip to Japan in 2019, like right before the pandemic. Oh, wow. Uh, yeah. And that was just like, I just got this email that was like, I don't know, some really cheap amount. I think it was like 800 bucks round trip wow. from where I was at the time was Montreal to Hong Kong. Uh, not Hong Kong, sorry, Tokyo. Tokyo okay. <laughs> um, and I was like, what? Okay. in I'm in. And it was like months away, but I'm like, I, I just booked it. Um, and so, yeah, I was, that was the furthest place I've been on my own, but um, I was really scared because I thought I wasn't going to be able to communicate with anybody, but it was like one of the easiest, most seamless, most clean, <laughs> friendly, easy to be places and safe yeah. um, that I've ever been. And so that was an incredible trip. And um, I definitely traveled a little bit before. I'm trying to think where the heck have I been? Are you, you're a doing lot of the I'm sorry, but you're, you're doing the solo, right? Like you're a yeah, you're, I mean, not always. I actually just okay. went on my first trip, like with a pal in years. Um, for, yeah, like uh, a couple weeks ago, we went to New Orleans together and it was incredible. Oh, so I've that was just been. for fun. You went to New Orleans for fun. Oh, you've never been. Oh, yeah. All of these are just for fun. Oh, yeah. you gotta go. You gotta oh, go. Oh, I've been. Oh, I've been many Very times. Very horrible and wonderful at the same time. <laughs> That is, that is the best description of well, most of Louisiana, but yeah, yeah, no, New Orleans in particular. Yeah. We a, a number of years ago, my cousin got married down in Lafayette, <clears throat> and that actually, so my my girlfriend at the time, now my wife, you know, we went down there, we did all the stuff in Lafayette, had a great time, like it was so nice and laid back. The food was amazing. We spent one yeah. day in New Orleans, and we're like, ah, let's go back to Lafayette. We're yeah, so much happier That's there. Interesting. I would like, yeah, I'd be actually interested in going to more parts of Louisiana because there was something very um, unique and special about the culture and the energy there that yeah. I really, really didn't realize I was going to like as much as I did. Um, New Orleans was fantastic, but we never went to Bourbon Street. Oh, wow. <laughs> you know, you didn't even like take a look at it? I mean, yeah, we, we took a look at it, but we were like, we took one look and we're like, this is the worst part. <laughs> <laughs> It's, yes, <laughs> it's, it's the worst and best like, part. There are like versions of it. Like, I don't know. We went to Frenchman Street, which had all the mm. live music, but not quite as many people puking in the street. Um, <laughs> so, <laughs> that part was really great. Um, but like like you said, it was the food. It was the vibe. It was the the like that Southern kindness. Mm. Like I'd never been to the South and really like like in a, like that was the first. I mean, I went to Disney World when I was a kid. That doesn't count. That doesn't really count. No. Oh, <laughs> but yeah, prior to that, like I'm trying to think what the last big. Oh, yeah, I went to Paris last year, just uh, again, got a cheap, got a deal in the mail. And I'm like, but that was a little bit more impulsive. It was like two weeks away. And I just like booked it and took PTO. And I didn't spend that much. I don't spend that long there. And that's why I think it's like a little easier to do when you're on your own. Yeah. Um, Like there's only so much you can do. But, you know, the thing I think the thing I love the best about traveling by myself is like I decide when I'm fed up and I'm tired and I want to go back to my hotel room and have a nap. Mm -hmm. I decide what my entire schedule is like. It's uh, very liberating. It's very, very liberating. Um, 
But like you have to choose wisely, wisely, especially as a woman traveling solo. Not everywhere is the safest. In some places, like you don't really want to be walking around late at night, regardless of gender. <laughs> like, um, and so you know that's something to keep in mind. But I've also like traveled to the Caribbean alone. Uh, I went to Chicago, which oh, wait, oh, actually, this is a good story. Um, there is this incredible service out there if you're willing to take a risk. It's called oh. So annoying that I don't remember the name right this now. Is Chicago? I'll remember as we talk about it. Sorry. Where is this? Chicago? No, no, wait. I'm I'm getting ahead of myself. Oh, okay. I'm gonna tell the Chicago story, but I'll tell you how I got there. Oh, okay, like, okay, okay. Chicago was like the tippy top of my list. It was just sort of a result of this thing that I did that was really cool. I'll remember the name as I describe it, I'm sure. But basically the premise of this company is that you give them a budget, you give them dates that you're available to go somewhere. You give them like the type of thing you're looking to do. Um, you're like, I, I like cities. I like the countryside. I like beaches or whatever. Um, you know, the types of restaurants or like kind of food you like, um, activities that you like to do. And they'll plan a surprise trip for you. Oh. And basically, you don't know where you're going until the day of. <laughs> it's so cool. Wow. Um, yeah. And I still don't remember the name of it right now. Um, I don't know if this is going, if this is going like, on a web page, we can put a link. Yeah, yeah, no, down. no. Any, oh, yeah, when we find it, we'll put the links down below. Don't That's you worry. The beauty the of messages. the internet. Indeed. Um, and brains. Like, I've outsourced my entire brain to the internet. So, but yeah. So I basically was like, I want to go to a city. Like, I'm focused on like fine dining and like cocktails and like somewhere I can walk around safely ish during the day and like, you know, like just something new. Um, and it also asks you, like, where have you been recently or, like, what cities have you lived in? So they don't send you somewhere, oh, like, okay. that you know really, really well. Um, and I ended up in Chicago for this, like, long weekend. And it was so fun. I'd never been there. Um, I'd always kind of wanted to go, but it wasn't, like, a place that I probably would have planned a trip on my own. Yeah. But they book, like, they book reservations for you at restaurants. They book the hotel. And because they're, like, a travel agency, they got me, like, a really sweet upgrade at this ho beautiful hotel. So, gosh, I just, like, deeply recommend that to anyone who's, like, looking for something that has guardrails but is still a little bit adventurous. Um, That's you pretty know, if you're sweet. Take a chance. I had a – Yeah. I, I knew uh, – I had a coworker, and, and her and her husband, what they used to do every year is they, they'd trade back and forth on whose turn it was. But one of them would plan their vacation, and it would be a complete secret. They'd put oh, on headphones fun. and a mask – on the entire plane. They'd be on the plane for like 14 hours in some cases. Cause like oh, one time it was Turkey. One time it was Argentina, you know? It's so cool. And they just kind of wake up. And, and the thing is they'd get there and the goal was, okay, you've, you've landed, you're in the airport. We take everything off. Now try to guess where you are. I'm not going to tell you until you figure it out. I'm not going to tell you wow. what's planned. Yeah. That takes massive effort. Tr effort and trust. Like that. They're still together. Yeah. <laughs> they got a couple you kids. <laughs> Well, I mean, they're they're definitely making an effort to keep things interesting. So good for them. Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. But like I can't imagine um the whole like part of the plane. How do you avoid that? Anyway. I won't get too deep in the logistics. Yeah, I, yeah. I've, 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 like, I've really, like, I, I remember picking this apart. She's like, you just, yeah. you know, and look, you can't, you can't control everything, but you know, we, yeah. we trust each other to not listen to those things and try not to get the clues. I'm like, oh, that's, that's okay. A don't turn on the map immediately. That's what I always do. <laughs> on the I don't know why. I love watching the map the whole way. It's very weird. And I, I like don't even turn on the movies. I'm just like staring at the map with my music on. I love the. I map. mean, it depends a lot. 
depends how long the flight is. Yeah, but... I can do it for 14 hours. But like, I love the for map sure. and I love the uh, um, the chatter from the cockpit. I don't know why I love listening to the chatter. Oh, interesting. Yeah, United used yeah. to do that. I was like, Wait, how can you do, can you do that? Is there just like a channel that you can put on? There's usually so like when you go um, to the media system, even prior to the having the media systems on the back, it used to just be like the yeah. radio. You could listen. You know, you put your your headphones in so you could watch the, the yeah. movie everybody else is watching there was like a specific yeah. channel on there for united i think it was channel eight and it okay. was just you could hear the cockpit chatter and I'm, you know I, I feel like i had to have known that known that at some point with the amount that i've flown but yeah that sounds fun so like, i think what, that would be too much for me because i'd be like listening for danger code words <laughs> well and that was the thing like i you know it, I, I used to like playing like flight simulators and stuff like that. So for me, it was like that little thrill of, you know, oh, okay, yeah. oh I want to be sense. a pilot someday, except for, you know, yeah. didn't, didn't work out. I don't fit well in a cockpit. So like you've done all of this travel. You're still doing this. It sounds like, I mean, like this is exciting. What is the value that you're getting out of it? Like, why, why, why? Oh, you know what? It forces me. I'm like, I feel like I'm an inch. I have I have to like hack my own habits in a way. Like I have a creature, like if I'm left to my own devices and I'm not like making some sort of plan, like I will go periods of time. Like I'm so grateful that it's spring and summer now and I'm getting out of the house more, but like the pandemic was not a good thing for me in this mm. regard. Like I will stay home for like long periods of time. Um, and like, I just won't do much. And I was like, I'm going to move like a couple things I'm going to do. Gonna, first of all, the the pandemic's gonna end, which knock on wood, I think it's kind of over ish. Enough, <laughs> enough. I mean, <laughs> for the people who still have COVID, that's terrible. But anyway, the world is open more or less again. Um, like that, it, I now I have to get back out. Um, and like I live, I moved to New York so that I could be like, you're in a place where there's tons of stuff happening around you. So like, when you do go out, you're gonna have. A, a good time right like yeah. guaranteed so i try to like make my environment and my settings as optimal as possible to force myself out so one of the ways is doing that of doing that is like booking a trip like and having that thing that will completely pull me out of my comfort zone and kind of force me to be somewhere new interact with people see things i hadn't seen before and like you know it's all of the the cliche and wonderful things that I think we talk about when it comes to travel. It's just like seeing the world, gaining empathy for different cultures. Mm. Like I haven't felt like I'm some broad traveler. I haven't been anywhere in Asia. Uh, oh, that's a lie. I've been to Japan. But like, <laughs> I'm pretty been... sure Tokyo is part of Asia. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty <laughs> sure as well. But no, there's, there's big swaths of the world that I haven't seen at all. And like, I'd love to see more, but I know that that's going to be an ongoing thing that I'll be doing forever. As long as I physically can. Right. Um, I was actually just thinking, I'm like, where's my next, like, cause I go to Montreal all the time cause that's my hometown. Yeah. So I don't really count that as travel. Um, and, uh, I'm going to Boston for work and sorry, Boston. I, I don't count that as travel either. You've done um, Boston, you know, once you've done it, you've done well, it. I sure have. Uh, I did that for the pandemic and that was uh, one way of doing Boston, I guess. Um, <laughs> anyway, uh, yeah, I lived there for a year, the first year of the pandemic. Um, Anyway, so my I've got to like I'm like I'm itching again. I'm like okay, got New Orleans done. I'm like itching for the next sort of like surprise adventure and like not sure what it's going to be. I was like maybe Europe somewhere again. I'm going to recommend Europe, Spain. Oh, very very Bar very good. Either done. Barcelona done. or yeah. um, up north of the Basque Country. The, one of the the my my the two my two favorite places in the world, and I haven't traveled as much as I'd like as well. 
uh, are Amsterdam, just because I, I love yeah. Amsterdam. It's just a chill place and everybody's kicking. Yeah. There's a lot going on, but especially San Sebastian, Spain, up in the Basque country. Not only is it absolutely beautiful, it's on the coast, it's on the ocean, but like there's this old town there where you feel how old it is. Like it's like several hundred years old. There's a bunch mm. of new parts. There's, it's just gorgeous. And the people are so insanely friendly and, and same with Barcelona. Barcelona is so, so nice. wild. The one, one caveat is in all of the travel I've done, I've never had any kind of like pickpocketing problems or anything except for in Barcelona where it happened to me twice. And both oh, wow. times I was able to defend myself and stop it from happening. But like in one in one instance, I was in a um, I was in an ATM vestibule, and a whole bunch of kids yeah. kind of swarmed behind me as I was using the using the ATM. And I recognized this, and I pulled my ATM card out, and I turned around, I'm like, "What? What do you guys want to do? What are we doing here?" And they all ran. Yes. And the second yeah. time, I was walking back from a conference with some colleagues, and these two people approached us and started feeling us all over the place, and oh. they were they were pretending to come on to us, but they were feeling. <laughs> They were feeling parts they shouldn't feel, and then they were definitely feeling for wallets. And we had yes. to kind of, we had to kind of knock them away. Oh, that is the one thing. I'm sorry, those things happen to you, by the way. That's like eh. such a, it's such a downside to traveling. Yeah. Um, but yeah, only happened twice though. Europe, in the popular tourist places of Europe, like I remember there was a couple of moments. Like I remember this one guy, um, like dropped something in front of me in Paris, and like I bent over to pick it up. I'm like, okay, I knew as I was doing it that I was being a freaking idiot. Um, and then like, I was immediately super defensive of myself and he was like trying to talk to me while I like picked it up. Then I, I was like, no, 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 I gotta go. Um, but yeah, these things happen so fast, so like fast. so quickly. You have to be present. Um, yeah, you do. You have to be like, you have to be so present also to like take in everything that's happening, yeah. but being aware that, that that's a possibility is uh, important too. Um, but yeah, I love that idea of Spain. I've never been. It's been really high, actually really high on my list. Beautiful. And, you know, it is nice to be in New York where it's a little easier to fly, you know, directly to those spots than it was when I was in San Francisco. Like yeah. you add another six hours when you're in San Francisco. That's you know? right. Whereas in San Francisco, you get a little bit more access to Asia a bit more easily. You um, do, but that's still so a far, super but... long flight. Like that, man. When yeah. I flew to, I flew to Singapore. Oh man, I was I, I. That's where I learned that I keep bringing this fourteen hours up. That's that's the longest I can be on a plane before I want to jump, before I want to open the doors <laughs> yeah. and get out. Fourteen hours. That's. I don't think I've ever been on a flight that long. I think Tokyo was the longest, and I think it was eleven hours. I swear it was. Um, it might have been. That was awesome. Yeah, I'm pretty sure it was all a full 14 hours. Yeah, it sucked. I didn't enjoy that at all. <laughs> yeah, in that case, you actually might imagine in a world, because normally I'd be like direct flight or nothing to yeah. everything, right? But I wonder if like even taking a couple days somewhere else and then flying well, on. Yeah, and then yeah. like there's another place for you to go check out, right? So, you know, I, yeah. I think I could have had the option of flying into Tokyo and then flying into Singapore, but I didn't do that. And I think it was because I was trying to be like, it was for work, so I was trying to be conscious of the money, you know. But yeah, yeah. Well, that, that's why it's tricky when you the work thing is always tricky too. Well, it's tricky when it's personal too. And okay, okay so like you talked about this site yeah. where you, you know, get everything <laughs> planned for you that we can't remember its yeah. name. I swear we'll figure it out, and there will be a link below. Okay. Yeah. Um, yeah I'm gonna see if really look it up while there you go. So 
how do you, but is that how you prefer to travel? Like, are you someone who, like, I, when, whenever I like to travel, like, I, I want to make sure I've got my, my hotel set up, you know, make sure I know what days I'm there and have kind of a loose idea of what's going on in the area. But outside of that, I really, and this has like plus sides and negative sides. I love to land and just kind of figure it out as I go. But then oftentimes that means that when I leave, there's a bunch of stuff I wish I had seen because I didn't do enough prep. How do you like to travel? Do you like to think, have things planned yeah. out or do you just kind of explore? That's funny. Um, I feel like that was that company's name. I still don't remember. <laughs> anyway, I'll remember um, at some point. That was really, I really wanted to see what they were going to put together in terms of a very specific plan. I also told them, don't make it too like scheduled. Like, so they got me a ticket to the museum. They made a couple restaurant reservations. I didn't use both of them. I only used one of them. Um, so that was like kind of adaptable and I got a credit for the one that I didn't use. So oh, cool. it was great. Um, but like, no, no, normally I'm quite similar to you. Like I like to do enough research so that like the things that are going to be extremely appealing to me are on my list. I know when I'm going to be able to access them. Ideally, I know when I'm going to be able to access them with the easiest way possible. If there's any way I can like forego a line or if there's any way I can go when it's not so busy, I'll do the research to find that out. Yeah. Um, but I like to sort of like have that loose idea, have a general like couple of neighborhoods that I know I want to hang out in based on my research and then kind of like walk and let serendipity. I mean, most of the beauty of traveling is, is that serendipity for better or for worse. Like serendipity doesn't always mean being pickpocketed. It sometimes <laughs> means like, you know, when we were in New Orleans, we had this incredible, uh, we went to for crawfish, just sort of like we didn't plan it. And we went to eat a bunch of crawfish after being in this pool club. We met these two dudes that were like in a band. They're like, come to our show tomorrow night. But it was in a part of the city that was like totally not the diversity part. Well, that was the most fun night of our mm -hmm. entire trip. Um, and like, they were just like salt of the earth, wonderful human beings that could wail a guitar. Like it was just incredible. And so like, you have to be open to that. I also think it helps too. And I feel like you're this way too, is just having a good, as, as like, you don't want to be naive, but like having a good judge of people's character, yeah. like a good gut feeling about people when you travel and is like such an asset. Feeling. Yeah. And like, if you're not feeling it, don't, follow that person <laughs> yeah. and i feel like I know, not everyone has that that like skill um but i also think the nicest thing about traveling is that you do get reminded that most people are really kind and nice yeah like, most people really are and i think that that's one of the most beautiful things about traveling i mean everybody's the same like, like i could do without like i wouldn't want to live in paris for example but like Everyone is still really like they're kind. They may not always be polite. <laughs> you know, I, I, I've been to Paris a bunch of times and I've only had one instance where I'd say I had a rude French person. And, and admittedly, like, you know, it was like two o'clock in the afternoon at some little, you know, bistro that my wife and I had come into. And he was just kind of like rolling his eyes at us. But that's the only time I've ever run into that. Otherwise, everybody I've. And every place I've ever been to has been insanely friendly. Yeah. It's not so much that it's not, they're not friendly or kind. It's just that the, the whole culture of like service and, and interaction with customers is like completely different. There. True. Like that's true. They're not, they're being paid a salary and they have healthcare. Right. So like, they're not having to bend over backwards to like give you this phony impression of care 
to get a good tip. Exactly. Right? Yeah. So I, that has its drawbacks sometimes because you're like, hello, can someone please serve me here? And nobody <laughs> around. They're like, I don't know. I'm, I've got my health care. I'm like going to sip my coffee. I'm like, you're going to wait. Um, but usually I'm on vacation, so I have plenty of time. Yeah. <laughs> and that's probably, you know, that's why they're relaxed too. Like, uh, you're on vacation, yeah, yeah, American. Yeah. You relax. Yeah. You know, you sit here and enjoy Paris. Come on. Don't try to rush yeah. through it. I do feel I know, like. Right? They're, they're reminding me that I need to chill. <laughs> I, I do feel like that, especially in Europe, I get that sense a lot like, hey, Americans, settle the hell down. Like, you're you're yeah. here. Enjoy enjoy things. We know you're used to being rushed. We're not going to do that to you here. I, that, I, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. Yeah. That's a really good point. And it is really nice to know that people are actually being paid equitably and fairly yeah. in those situations. It does. And, and it's one of those things where, hey, maybe we should bring that back home. That'd be nice. Hey, there's <laughs> a lot of things that we could probably learn from, learn from Europe. And there's a lot of things that we shouldn't learn from Europe. But yeah. 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 I, I, would, <laughs> I would agree with that. So, okay. So let me, before, before we go off here, let me, uh, let me ask you any like tips for anyone that you might have for like how, how, I would say one of the barriers to travel. Travel credit cards. Travel credit cards. Travel credit cards. Okay. See, so this is the thing. Like one of the, for me, the biggest barrier to travel was always the resources, not having the money, not having the time. I know a big part of that is just, you know, prioritizing. Like you say, you're, you know, you do, you do prioritize some of your travel. You do save up for these things. This is something that you choose to spend your time and your money on. Yeah, I do budget for it. So it's like, it's a part of like how I'm planning. Yeah. Um, it's nice. I just put a little bit aside as an just a general travel fund. Um, but I also, I feel like I've gotten so much over time uh, by having an online shopping problem and using, <laughs> and, using <laughs> and using travel cards to fund that online shopping problem, which turns into great trips because yeah. I have all these points. <laughs> There's a flip side to that that we don't have to talk about. <laughs> this is a shopping problem. But at least it translates to points. And also, like, when we were in New Orleans, like, I just got this, like, I don't know, the upgrades that you, like, these upgrades are just wild. Like, um, I had a ridiculous room that had, like, a $100 credit for the mini bar and stuff like that. It was just very dangerous and fun. Oh, wow. Um, I mean, it goes like that in two seconds, these mini bars where everything costs, like, $3,000. Absolutely. But not quite, you know what I mean, a lot. Um, so I would say that's the tip. I mean, also like, I'm very, very, very lucky that I work at a company that has the theoretical unlimited PTO, (laughs) you know, I don't know. That's that there's people who feel certain ways about unlimited PTO, but I try to take three weeks a year. That's how I interpret that. Um, you know, not always three weeks at once, but, um, or ever really, (laughs) but, um, it's a little short spurt. So like, if you feel like you would enjoy a five day trip and not like a two week trip, when you're doing it alone, you don't want to spend that much time with yourself anyway. So like after five days, you're ready to go home and be with your people and like be back in your, you know, in your own space. So that's, I guess, another t- trip uh, tip would be make it a shorter trip. It's also less expensive. Mm-hmm. Um, and take that PTO if you have it like too many people just don't take PTO when yeah, it's right true. there. Like, don't pretend like, you know, you're proving anything to anyone by not taking your PTO. We all want you to take a break. You like, need the break. Take it. That's why we it's we need you to take a break. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. It's not just for you. It's for everybody around you. Everybody has to deal yeah. with you. Yeah. Oh, I love it. SJ, oh, 
great conversation. Always good to see you, talk to you, catch up with you. Thank you so much. I really appreciate it. Now, before we go, pitch your thing. Thank you, Rob, um, for the opportunity. Um, I agree. This was a great chat. Uh, So I mentioned this earlier in our chat, but um, I would love to point any developers who are looking for a new opportunity. Maybe they've been part of these layoffs, unfortunately, and have a little severance time to um, learn a new skill. Um, I would say the time is now to become a HubSpot developer, especially when it comes to things like uh, creating custom solutions for our, our partners, our customers that are, you know, needing to customize their CRMs. Um, we have the beginnings of some education around that uh, through our HubSpot Academy. You can start by taking an API course. You could learn about also the CMS. There's lots of different sort of areas to play as a developer on HubSpot. But I would say get involved in our community. Get to know our solutions partners. There's so, so, so much demand for folks who are, you know, comfortable with APIs, comfortable with, uh, let's say, JavaScript, comfortable with, um, let's see, what's our... I mean, I really any language will work, but like Python, Ruby, um, maybe not Ruby, actually. <laughs> what about Erlang? Spring Erlang? No, I mean, like maybe Erlang, <laughs> sure. Java, I don't know. I'm just listing things right at this point. But like um, the opportunity is now. The opportunity is there. And we're going to be rolling out more and more educational materials. We're really focused on um, educating developers and like giving them the skill set and the toolkit to to build on HubSpot and meet our growing customer needs. So I would say go to developers.hubspot.com and you know start there and you can read our blog. You can uh, join the community. We've got a developer Slack and the developer forums and um, there's a lot of people ready and willing to welcome you and uh, and show you what's possible. The link is down in the show notes, developers.hubspot.com. If you want to see a developer community, a successful, solid developer community in action, go check out developers.hubspot.com. Thanks. SJ, thank you so much. Yeah, this was lots of fun. Thank you so much, Rob. Thanks. Bye. (laughs) (laughs) I ruined the end. No, that was perfect. You made it this far, you deserve answers. That travel site SJ recommended is called packupgo.com. The link, as with everything else, will be in the show notes at compiling.publicgeeking.com. Thank you again for joining me today, SJ, and thank you for inviting us to spend some time between your ears. Until next time. The Compiling Podcast is produced, written, published, hosted, and copyrighted by Rob Sesueta. All opinions expressed belong to the individuals expressing them and not necessarily the organizations to which they belong. To find show notes and listen to additional episodes, please visit compiling.publicgeeking.com. Talk to you soon!